Hi, I'm Bill Sisson, uh, Executive Director of WBCSD North America, and welcome to our latest edition of Transformative Leadership. Uh, I'm joined today by Brian Griffith, uh, the owner and executive chairman of Griffith Foods. Thanks for joining, Brian. Well, Bill, it's a pleasure to be joining you in this conversation. You know, we're, we're really at the cusp of a corporate leadership revolution. You might call it a tipping point on sustainability. And increasingly, we're seeing companies move from simply publicizing their ESG efforts to integrating them across the core of their business, while all the while making bold commitments to address such issues as the climate emergency, our degrading natural systems, and addressing human rights and inequality. Leadership is at the core of this business transformation and is resident in our call to action that we put forward last month in our Vision 2050 work, in which we believe a world in which 9 billion people will live well within the boundaries of the planet and our ecosystems. So Brian, thanks for, for joining us today. You know, we, you're one of our members, you're one of our great member companies, and we see Griffith Foods as a true transformative company in the food system sector, led by you, a true transformative leader. Before we get into the meat and potatoes, pardon the pun, um, how about we have you tell us a little bit about yourself and perhaps something maybe few people know about you. For me, uh, one of the, my early childhood memories uh, actually captures much of both my kind of passion and conviction around, around this area and subject. And it goes back to a conversation I had with my father. When I was about 10 years old where we spend our summers in a lake in Wisconsin, just north of Chicago. And during this conversation, I was 10 years old. We were on our dock. It's a late afternoon, and I remember the quality of the light on the water. It's sparkling on the, on the waves. And as we were having this conversation about the company, about our products, customers, and invariably conversations about the company always involved discussions about our people and the kind of culture and environment that was important both to my father and, and to our family at large. But there was something at the end of this conversation that was particularly poignant. And he said, Brian, at the end of the day, the company is a vehicle for greater good. Now, as a 10-year-old, one might suggest that that sounds abstract, but it wasn't. It resonated with me deeply. This idea that the company was something more than just a job for others and, and for our family, that it had a place that was more meaningful and that this indeed could embody this kind of grander idea of business as a vehicle for greater good. And that stuck with me. Now, vocationally, I had some different plans at that point in time. But as I traveled with my parents uh, internationally, I was the youngest of four children. Um, so I had the benefit of being able to travel with them probably a little bit more than some of my other siblings. I really saw that also in action. This idea of, of what we did as a, a food company. And we essentially, we create recipes for some of the most iconic food brands in the world in over 40 countries now. And essentially we've kind of framed ourselves as a delicious, nutritious product development partner. And that could be in a variety of different ways, whether it's snack seasonings, plant-based or meat marinades, 
sauces for meals. We partner with our customers to create those recipes that they're best known for. But as we, you know, we do that around the world, we, we really do that in a way that really has sustainability in mind. So this idea of a vehicle for greater good in, in our purpose, which of course, if you, we have origins like I just described, uh, we weren't uh, existentially lost, but we articulated our purpose in 2016. And our purpose is that we blend care and creativity to nourish the world. And you can see embodied in that, this ideal of a business as, as a force for good. And it essentially embodies this idea of what is unique and authentic in terms of our business competencies and strengths and what we see as a need in the world. First of all, I want to thank your father <laughs> because he, he, he certainly planted a seed that has in many ways uh, led to perhaps one of the most successful transformative leaders that we can point to at the moment. And, and let's delve into this a bit with Griffith Foods and your 2030 plans, because I think that kind of embraces really the, the mission you're on, that it's not just about a company setting a new set of sustainability goals, but it's really about how this is being taken across your whole business. Well, you know, we talked about a purpose. And so as we looked at it is for the past hundred years, I mean, fundamentally, we've been transforming tens of thousands of raw materials into recipes that come from an agricultural base. So when we talk about our purpose and our 2030 goals, it very much syncs up with a sustainability and what we had started out our journey in 2014. Um, you know, it's interesting, we didn't organize while well, that ethos that I spoke of about a vehicle for greater good has always been part of our DNA. Fundamentally, our sustainability journey and organizing for impact started in 2014. In 2016, as I mentioned, we kind of articulated purpose as a key way of kind of creating a higher order around the path that we would be taking strategically. And so that process around um, articulating that, and really we fundamentally looked at it is the is really a triple bottom line approach of people, planet, and performance. We felt that that was an easy way to both capture our framework and begin to organize ourselves effectively around that. And so within that, as we looked at materiality, essentially there are several areas that emerged as a company in the food sector as critically important in what we do. And first was is health and nutrition in terms of the products that we design and create uh, with our partners. The other would be sustainable sourcing. As I mentioned, you know, all our raw materials and, and come from an agricultural kind of origin. And fundamentally, sustainable sourcing was key in, in sustainable practice, agricultural practices. We were one of the first companies that brought in Rainforest Alliance to actually certify uh, spices and herbs, um, something that they were best known for in terms of coffee and cocoa. And we also identified the area of climate action and environmental management as being essential. And then the fourth pillar that we identified as we were looking at our 2030 goals was well-being and fulfillment. And again, I have to say, I have to give a nod to my parents who were very much part of, you know, the, out of the 50s, uh, you know, positive psychology movement that my dad really believed that we would want our associates and those who are associated with us to be fulfilled. And so this idea of well-being, both physical, mental, 
and um, social well-being and physical health really were part of this idea of well-being overall. So we kind of drilled in on those four pillars. And when we said health and nutrition, it was working with customers and suppliers to evolve our portfolio to be healthier for people and the planet. So this idea of going back to the triple bottom line of kind of the, the being able to do both. Sustainable sourcing was really about improving farmer livelihoods while buying from sustainable sources and leading on regenerative agriculture. And climate action and environmental management was becoming net zero by 2030 while cutting supply chain carbon impact. The idea of well-being and fulfillment, we embodied that in taking care of our people, our partners, diversity, inclusion, fair pay, human rights, and more opportunities for disadvantaged people and groups. And so that is kind of where we kind of drilled in. Now, the, the use of materiality is quite common practice when we're talking about sustainability. But those four areas emerged as the focal points that we were really thought we can make the most impact both for the company and in the world at large. We certainly frame our purpose around people, planet, and performance. You know, we certainly want our companies that are sort of driving to be this transformative in their business practices and models to look at those, those core areas of where they can impact the climate, where they can impact nature, and where they can impact people. And I think you framed it nicely in your four pillars, but let's talk a little bit about the performance piece of this, because that really gets into your governance of your, your business and how you see uh, setting the right tone of how you as a leader are shaped and directed by your board. And so thinking about how your board has to sort of be evolving as a part of driving your company's mission. Can you talk a little bit about the roles and the, and the reshaping of your, your board that you've had to make going forward? Yeah, I mean, you know, first it started off with intuitively, if we said we're subscribing to, you know, a triple bottom line mindset and perspective, we importantly, even in our earliest days around that, we started organizing our initiatives within that context. So sustainability wasn't an initiative. All our initiatives lived inside of that triple bottom line framework. So all initiatives either resided in people, planet, or performance. And we even organized our meetings in terms of the flow in that order to kind of reinforce this idea of sustainability at the being at the forefront of our mind. As we continued, again, down a journey, we started, I would say, further back in the curve and have been kind of accelerating going forward. Part of that acceleration of both not only catching up, but believing that we can lead in a few areas, also kind of embodied this idea of our governance. And so fundamentally, as I kind of reflected, as we started bringing on newer board members, that had a sustainability mindset, as we started augmenting our perspectives with our sustainability advisory council, with subject matter experts that we felt that we needed to help us, it seemed that by organizing ourselves around those pillars as kind of the key committees of the board seemed to make a lot of intuitive sense. So with the exception of kind of uh, audit and comp, we 
really kind of dismantled any of our other committees and reformed around those four central pillars of people, well-being and fulfillment, uh, planet being around climate action and environmental management. And then those two pillars that are most associated with performance, given the fact that over half of our PL resides in raw materials, is that sustainable sourcing and health and nutrition, what we do as a company, then would be the four primary governance committees. And we have ERM, so in terms of enterprise risk management, and of course, audit and comp. So those, those would comprise the kind of structure of the committee structure of the board. And, and by doing that, we essentially are aligning our purpose, which we'll go back to and repeat, is we blend care and creativity to nourish the world. So by creating alignment between our purpose, our sustainability platform of the triple bottom line, and then the fundamental areas of materiality within our sustainability framework of the four pillars I mentioned, then you're really aligning ownership in terms of our family's orientation, the board governance, and then the organization of, of our operational teams. And of course, I think it goes almost without saying, but it's important to mention is that our success over the past hundred years has relied on our people and their ability to drive progress with our customers and deliver value. But our teams fundamentally have been the secret of our success. So when we talk about kind of operationalizing purpose through the lens of sustainability, the organization that I described around our board governance seemed to make a lot of sense. And, and we're really in the midst of that. I mean, that was only about a year and a half ago that we started formulating this approach and then building out committee structure. You know, what I, what I really like about sort of how you're framing this is, is truly integrated across your business. It's not just a, a statement that you read in the front cover of your annual report, however you do that. It's, it, it is made up of your entire organization, how you've implemented this, including your board and the structure of your board, which I think is fascinating. And then, you know, the other, the other dimension of this, and, and we certainly hear a lot of this from our publicly traded members, is how important the investor community is looking or how much importance the investor community is looking at a company's ESG performance as part of its assessment of its future value. And knowing that Griffith Foods is a privately held company, what do you believe or see as the real key differences between how you are, are managing this sort of ESG a balance across your, your company versus what you see in, in, in public companies? We believe very much in kind of trust and transparency so that there's disciplines around publicly held companies, many of which are compliance oriented, that we believe are healthy and good. And, and so those are, we try to adopt best practices that all publicly held companies adhere to. So, and, and I think that's, uh, there's a certain degree of discipline um, and I think best practice around that. We do that willingly, not out of a, a need of compliance. Now there might be some onerous things that don't apply to us from a compliance point of view that we may 
say, well, that's probably doesn't make as much sense for us, but we try to adopt those that do and, and those best practices that are, again, fundamentally uh, beneficial. How we go about that, I think, is one of the freedoms of a privately held company, and most importantly, the time horizon for which you realize a long-term value. We are not under the pressure of quarterly and the tyranny of quarterly reporting and such that we can take a longer view. And you need still need a balanced portfolio of sometimes quick wins, moderate, and then those are longer term bets, but we have a greater degree of freedom um, to achieve those. Also, I think we can achieve as a privately held company that aids the learning curve. Um, some things are just somewhat fundamentally more challenging to address and transform. And um, as we learn, we can adjust with those probably without the concern of kind of a short-term setbacks that, that maybe a publicly held CEO might be more concerned about following. Also, I mean, I'll even go back to the governance structure is that um, the committee structure that I spoke of, we have essentially six committees before those being the four pillars I was speaking of. We have, um, from an operational point of view, our global vice presidents are a member of those committees. And that is probably not considered necessarily to be best practice or, or maybe kosher among um, many publicly held companies is you wouldn't have those presence of that member on that committee, but it also reduces friction between the translation of the vision of 2030 goals, which the board really should be looking five, 10 years out and the, the operating team should be kind of, you know, zero to five years at least. But this, um, this overlap by having operating vice presidents that are closely aligned with those pillars, they have a place at the table. And so the kind of vision setting and implementation further out, that foresight that boards should have, I, I found that um, it was important and useful for our operating teams to be, uh, to know our board members, to actually work alongside them and be part of crafting those 2030 goals and, and of course, executing against them. So this relationship between our operating team and our, and our board is potentially a little bit unconventional, but it reduces the friction and the handoff between vision and implementation, which let's face it, I mean, it's all about how do you get it done in execution? And so that is probably an example that a privately held company can afford to do um, that might be a little different than a public one. I love the um, the concept of reducing that friction because the, you've got to balance that that kind of longer term expectation or agenda together with how you actually uh, operationalize and in, implement it in in the shorter term. Uh, and also also love your reference to the, the tyranny of the quarter uh, because because. Yeah. Businesses can't transform if they're locked into short time cycles. And I think that's that's the, the benefit of being a privately held company. But we also need to help those publicly traded companies that are out there to really see that, that balancing act between obviously managing short-term performance, which is what some of their stakeholders might expect, but many of their stakeholders are also wedded to the longer-term responsibilities. And... And what sort of wanted to come back to your purpose as a company and what you said earlier, which is your success really relies on your people. 
the people who come to work every day and do the job that they've been asked to do, but with this higher sort of value purpose you talk about. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, given Griffith Foods, this is your family name. It's your, also your core brand, but how, how do you as a leader make sure that when your people come to work every day, that they embrace and embody the passion and the leadership and, and your mission as a company to take that, that forward day over day? For all of us that are in leadership roles within our companies, and, and I would suggest, and I use that in the broadest sense, because we want to democratize what we're doing as much as possible. And that's where this kind of idea, um, one of our six core values is act like owners. And so that's easy to say, but then how do people experience that? So there, I mean, there's fundamentally in terms of our purpose, my long-term partner of 20 years in the business, TC Chatterjee, our, our CEO, has, you know, we've transformed several businesses. Started off with one of our smallest businesses back over 20 years ago and have done this subsequently in, in a couple different units of Griffith. And then, of course, now we're leading the organization. But fundamentally is the whole idea of purpose. I think deeply resonates. Uh, we used a process when we articulated our purpose that included about 10% or more than that of our associate population in eight different languages. So each one of those words, we blend care and creativity to nourish the world, resonated in eight different languages as being like, yeah, that's that intersection of what's unique and authentic about us and a need in the world. And being able to repeat that with clarity and commitment with repetition are essential. But fundamentally, we as leaders have to equip and enable our teams to deliver on purpose. I mean, purpose, arguably, you know, is kind of a timeless kind of vision type of statement. To actually deliver on that, it's not about some kind of self-congratulatory pat on the back and say, well, look, we have a purpose. It actually demands much from us. If you look at that, you have to deliver on purpose. So I would suggest is that it's very much about equipping and enabling our teams to actually live that out and do it, which is very much about transformation. And we're talking about a hundred year old business that has many things that have served us well historically, but not all of them serve us well for the future. So we have to unlearn things and we have to emphasize those new things that enable us to deliver in a fast changing world about what our purpose actually embodies and means. And so I think with that, we have to be very cognizant about how is that translate to our associates who are expected as all of us are to, to deliver on our purpose. And fundamentally, one of the things that while our purpose is very virtuous is uh, one of the things that we've reflected on, um, and this has a lot to do with fulfillment and well-being, is this idea of personal purpose. I don't like to be told what to do or believe. And so there's a fine line between purpose pushing and in purpose that inspires and enables. One of the things that we've reflected on is, is pers how personal purpose can connect with that. So we've actually created a 10-week program that 
allows our associates at an opt-in program to reflect on their personal purpose and then connect their personal purpose to company purpose. And then how do we both show up in society? So how do we make purpose real? Well, it's by asking people to reflect on their personal purpose, if they so wish, in addition to our company's purpose. If you can match those two, then you have a very self-sustaining approach to delivering on purpose. And in our situation, it's very inextricably bound with sustainability. So that's one of the things that we've gone beyond the pilot stage and are continuing to scale this program is about how to make it meaningful to the individual on their terms, not only kind of the company terms. Such a critical sort of way of thinking about how you transform a business. I don't want to oversimplify, and I can't say it anywhere near nearly as articulate as you, but establish your core pillars, align your board, reinforce and, and inspire your purpose amongst your employees. All of those are, are sort of core ingredients of what you've described. But there's another element of this. You have another whole group of stake, stakeholders in your business called your customers. How does all this give you, in your mind, a competitive advantage? Well, fundamentally, and, and this is one of those things, um, along with what I was just saying about purpose and, and what I was describing many times, people um, have, you know, call it engagement. Intuitively, I think we all know that kind of purpose pays and I believe sustainability, a mindset, whether you call it ESG, and is, is really a driver of innovation. A triple bottom line, if you're doing people, planet, and performance in concert, together without a trade-off kind of mentality, you fundamentally have to come up with innovative solutions. It really drives a different kind of thinking. And in my opinion, it, it's proactive and it really drives innovation. And one would suggest that's where profit lives. So by aligning that is our customers around the world and it, it may vary in some ways. Uh, there is a context to a sustainability orientation, but fundamentally the pillars that we were speaking of, as it relates to food, those are areas of high interest to almost all of our customers. Um, and if it's not at this moment, it will be. So by us kind of creating a framework that is kind of virtuous and that is kind of solving for some of the challenges that all of us within the food sector are, are challenged by, not the least of which is feeding additional 2 billion people by 2050, a number that's been definitely been advertised and, and, and put out there for a long time for those of us who are in the industry sector, is that we realize that you know productivity, holistic solutions uh, matter a lot. Most of our customers identify and we align specifically when we're talking with them about our sustainability goals um, and theirs, where those intersections lay. The commonality is high and our customers appreciate it a lot when we're able to not only deliver, as I said earlier, as a kind of nutritious, delicious product development partner, but also fulfill people, planet, and performance kind of goals 
there tends to be a very strong kind of synchronization of that, or it provides an opportunity for us to explore and in many cases learn. We by no stretch of the imagination feel that we have arrived in these areas and it's a continuous learning process. If you can learn with your customer on very specific goals, that in essence creates both insulation and a competitive advantage if you're able to deliver on that in partnership. That's, um, that's really key. I mean, when I think of the language of sustainability 15 years ago, it was resident in a group function somewhere buried deep within the company's sort of character. That's really sort of transformed in and of itself over the last 15 years. And I think consumers are much more savvy. Your customers are much more focused. And, and I believe the demand for greater transparency around what we eat where it comes from, you know, what was involved with making it land in front of us, if you will, is going to be increasingly important. And I think you've got yourself positioned in, in such an important way to take that uh, opportunity forward. When we talked about sustainability, they would either call me in or our more recent uh, vice president of sustainability. Um, what has been happening lately is going back to this idea of equipping and enabling the organization is that we are both spending a fair amount of time and energy around education and making sure that people feel that they can relate what we're doing effectively. And so our salespeople are purchasing almost every function of the company now is beginning to become more adept and more comfortable with sharing what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, yeah. They don't need to call in the expert. They do when, when certain technical areas are required, but that is part of the transformation that we've seen more recently. And people are delighted to be able to represent the company and talk about what we're doing as a participant, not as some kind of bystander. Yeah, I, I was essentially that guy in my former job. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's interesting. I, I had the opportunity of of giving a talk, uh, sort of a, I don't know, I can't remember exact environment, but it was at MIT. I'm, a, I'm an alumni of their fellows, Sloan Fellows program, and they asked me to come talk about sustainability. And this was, this was maybe 15 years ago. And I remember standing up in front of all my former classmates and all the alumni making a statement that I'm the sustainability professional for this company, and I hope to be out of a job in 15 years. And I meant that in the context of exactly what we're talking about, that sustainability needs to become what a company does, not what somebody within the company is talking about. So Brian, you joined WBCSD as a, as a council member. You're, you're well aware of, of our vision 2050 framework and, and, you know, sort of the embracing ingredients of transformation uh, being around these core mindset shifts of reinventing capitalism and thinking differently. And you talked about this in the context of taking that longer term view, but how you value a, a broader variety of, of stakeholders in your business uh, execution. It's about building resilience into your business systems. It's about looking at making your business model regenerative, not just doing less harm, but actually reintroducing um, uh, what you do back into the, the systems we, we rely on. So maybe with that as kind of a closing comment by me, what are give you an opportunity to kind of reflect what what do organizations like ours mean to a company like Griffith Foods? How do you see you know our work, collaborative work, our space of of influence sort of benefiting you and 
and frankly, you benefiting us. I'll, I'll let you have the final word and, and then we'll wrap up. Well, we're, we're very grateful and, and I evaluated there's many kind of tribes of sustainably oriented companies and the WBCSD is among the leaders uh, within that, not only in terms of the depth and breadth of the programming that, but it creates a, a place for pre-competitive community in establishing a platform for change. It allows us to uh, learn from one another, share ideas, and kind of be able to put together frameworks that enable us to act. Then, you know, the majority of companies, you know, for us, I talked about how we started very much with a purpose orientation. I, I think that's powerful because purpose is a platform for change. And so I think that connection is very powerful when we talk about a sustainability mindset. And so we're very grateful for our active participants within the WBCSD community because we believe we can achieve more together uh, than apart. And even, and even along with our competitors within the space. I think building on those areas um, that are, many are unique and authentic to the, each company and have a different kind of angle and spin. But I think our overall effort together in terms of making the world a better place is, is critically important. And you provide a significant platform to be able to do that. Thank you, Brian. And that, I mean, really just to kind of put a wrap on, on that point is, is where we have companies like you that are really leading edge and leading the charge in, in your sector on, on driving this transformation. It's also for those that, that wanna come in and, and understand how they can get started. And so we're not an organization that is sort of uh, one, one size fits all. We're, we're frankly an organization that is trying to move the whole business community along on, on their sustainability journey. And I love purpose is a platform for change. And I think if until you can define that, and as you, you sort of uh, alluded to earlier and make it inspirational across your stakeholders, then you've got to take stock and maybe rethinking that. Brian, thanks. Really, thank you for, for taking the time today. I truly appreciate the passion you possess and the leadership you're driving for Grippus. We need more of you uh, if we're truly going to uh, transform the world. So thank you, Brian. Well, Bill, I thank you for the opportunity. And again, I take uh, inspiration from uh, the rest of the companies that we're alongside of um, within WBCST. So thanks for the opportunity and uh, have a great day.